Welcome to the Motherhood Village Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Gonzalez-Cumberbatch, and I know firsthand that it takes a village to raise a child, but most importantly, that it takes a village to uplift a mother. A mother's village is necessary and can take up many forms. Consider this podcast as part of your motherhood village. No matter the season of motherhood you're in, every conversation will give you more tools to add to your parenting toolbox, and you'll feel supported, inspired, and uplifted. So let's get into an informative and empowering conversation. Hello, and welcome to the Motherhood Village podcast. I am on with a very special guest. I have Dr. Melanie McNally, who is a licensed clinical psychologist and founder of Destination U, a boutique mental wellness service designed to help Gen Zers step into a version of themselves that is aligned with their values and goals. It's personal development plus life coaching plus cheerleading and accountability to help your tween, teen, or young adult discover who they truly are. Dr. McNally uses her 16 years of experience working in the mental health field and nine years working specifically with tweens and teens and young adults to develop programs and create curriculum that help build self-confidence, self-goals, set goals, and promote mental wellness. She's created an experience that will promote mental well-being and help Gen Zers feel energized, invigorated, and excited about their lives. How are you today, Dr. McNally? And this is our second time talking, so I'm excited. Yes, I'm good. It's nice to see you again. Nice to be back. Yes, it's so exciting to to talk about all the new stuff you have going on. Before we jump in, um, I always love to ask this question. I love to share resources. What is uh, your favorite book or a podcast that you would like to recommend? Um, right now, my a book that I'm recommending to everyone is called Everyday Sisu, and Sisu is spelled S-I-S-U, and it's written by this Finnish woman, and it's about this um, this like Finnish trait that's just kind of part of their culture of building like inner resilience and fortitude, and it's such a great book for anyone who wants to improve their mental health and build mental wellness habits, um, just kind of using a lot of their kind of culture and philosophy that they've kind of cultivated, you know, over decades and decades. Sure. No, I love that. Um, who and what has been an integral part of your village, both personally and professionally? Um, I would say for who, I mean, my partner, my life partner, my husband, um, Sean is huge, always supporting me and lifting me up. And then I'm part of kind of a, it's like a mastermind kind of a group um, for like female, like founders and entrepreneurs. And um, it's called Renegade Global. And it's like this community where I've developed these really incredible friendships. And actually, right before even getting on this podcast, I did like a virtual hangout session with like four friends from that community. And they're just like constantly making me think bigger, expand my mind and my belief system. Um, So they're huge on a personal and a professional level. I love that. Um, I think, and and you said, wait, and did you say it's virtual? It's virtual, right? So these women are from all over the world? Yeah, but we meet in person throughout the year as well. Um, But then we, you know, we have virtual kind of like education sessions where someone comes in and teaches us something. But then we also... Um, you know, some of us within the community have formed friendships. And so then we just kind of meet up on our own too. I love that. Um, I mean, I'm obviously the motherhood village, but what I found even as an entrepreneur and, and just growing a business, it's so important to find people that uplift you and support you, challenge you, hold you accountable. 
Um, I think you want those people that aren't always like, yeah, that's a great idea, but can really have like thought provoking, like, well, did you think of it this way? And you're like, oh, thank you. Or bouncing ideas off of each other and really being collaborative. So that's awesome that you've you found that. And I would um, recommend to anyone listening, always try and, and search for that village. I know it looks like many different things to many different people and that's okay, right? The village isn't one size fits all. It's many different things. Um, okay. Sure. So let's jump into it. So last time we talked, you were, you had your, um, you're still a psychologist, but you were really working in the field of psychologists as a therapist. Now you're moving more to life coach, um, life coaching, but still working with Gen Zers. As a life coach, how do you help Gen Zers reach their goals? And I guess I'll, I'll jump to also, what is the difference between life coaching and therapy? Yeah. So first, um, maybe I'll even talk about the difference between life coaching and therapy first. Sure. Um, that, you know, therapy is focused a lot on more of like dysfunctional behaviors and the dysfunctional side of psychology. Um, that's kind of like the whole premise of therapy is it's we're helping you, you know, figure out what your symptoms are and diagnose and do a lot of symptom management. Whereas coaching is more focused on like the functional side of things. So it's more about looking at what your strengths are. How can we build upon those strengths? What do we need to do in order to help you move forward and move into the future? So it's, um, you know, therapy can be a lot more of um, kind of like the negative and the harder side sure. of things, which is absolutely necessary, but it's, it can be really tough, whereas coaching is a little bit more hopeful and optimistic because we're really working towards achieving things. And, and so one of the things I do with with helping Gen Zers with reach their goals is kind of moving that it's taking that forward momentum and building upon strengths. But it really depends on what stage the Gen Zer comes in at. But you know, let's take someone who has a little bit of an idea of what they're working towards, a little bit of an idea of a goal. You know, first of all, I make sure that their goal is theirs and that it doesn't belong to someone else because that happens a lot with teens. They've kind of internalized a parent goal or a societal goal, but we really got to make sure that this is their goal and it belongs to them. And then we break apart, apart the goal to identify all the steps that are involved, no matter how small, because we need to really see what it's going to take to get there and what all the different avenues are that they're going to have to explore and, and go down and then we work on prioritizing the steps, looking at how long each one will take, you know, what else is needed for that step. We're then going to map it out and we put steps into their planners with due dates, rewards, you know, for meeting those due dates. And then lastly, you know, having some flexibility in there because sometimes we have to adapt and we have to shift and change with our goals and with the map that we've created. And we have to know what barriers or setbacks might get in our way and how we're going to overcome those things so that they're prepared for, you know, for handling those things and they're not surprised or thrown off course. Sure. And may I ask, was it something in particular that made you switch over? Did you find that um, some of the patients or people that you ran into needed more of a coach as opposed to a therapist? Is it something because it's the Gen Zers? What, what made you pivot? Um, 
from the therapy side of things, which makes complete sense to say that it's more like the healing and the negative aspect of like, okay, this happened to me and work through it as opposed to life coaching, which is like, Hey, what are your goals? And let's work through that. So tell me about that pivot. Yeah. You know, I, I got a little burnt out um, because I've been working in the field since 2006 and I started off working with adults and then I really transitioned over to adolescence in 2013. And so adolescents have been the bulk of my work since then, but it's been um, all therapy. And I just really was starting to feel the burnout of focusing on a lot of the negative stuff on the dysfunctional side of things. And it started to take a toll on how I felt about work. And that, you know, affected then how I felt outside of work because those things are connected. You can't separate them. And so I kind of got to a point where I knew that something needed to change, but I didn't want to stop working with adolescents because I absolutely love working with them. I didn't want to stop working in the field of psychology because I love psychology and personal development. It's like one of my favorite things to just like learn about and grow into. So I wanted to do something that was a little more positive and optimistic and hopeful. So that's when I decided that coaching would be a really good fit and that I could still use all of my education and training and experience, but just apply it in a different way. I love that. And now to go to the goal setting side of things, um, because I love how you kind of mapped out some of your steps. What do Gen Zers then really need? Um in order to identify the goals that are truly aligned with their authentic selves. And I love how one of the first things you said is that you have to identify and make sure that these are their goals and something that they want and not the parents' goals, not because society says they need to do this. Um, so I love that. But yes, what do Gen Zers need in order to basically identify and truly align with who they are? Yeah, there needs to be intrinsic motivation in place. So, you know, there needs to be that like internal passion or curiosity or purpose. And if they don't have any of those things, then there's a really good chance that that goal belongs to someone else. You know, if they're not naturally curious about the thing, then there's really where's the motivation for them to kind of to want to stick with it? Or if they're not passionate about it, where how are they ever going to Stay with it when it gets really boring or when it gets really challenging and difficult. And if they don't have a purpose behind it, if they don't really understand their why for, you know, their reason for doing it, then again, it's not going to be something that they're likely to stick with. So it's figuring out, you know, what their purpose and passion and curiosities are, making sure that they have those, that intrinsic motivation for the goal So then we can continue to build on it. And if they don't, then we kind of go back to the basics and then we have to figure out what are you curious about? What are you passionate about? You know, what gives you purpose? And we have to start to figure that out so then we can set goals based on that. And I think that's so powerful and something that is needed, I think, with a young generation, because I think to your point and me as a mother raising a young child, we can, including myself, get caught up in like, no, you have to do this, try basketball. And we're kind of pushing these things on them to where when they do become adults, unfortunately, because they've had everyone kind of figure everything out for them or say, you should be doing this. They have no idea what they want to do, who they really are, what they want to be. So I think 
this whole ideal of like having a life coach as a tween or a teen, I think is so powerful. Um, if I'm a parent and I'm not there yet of a, a teen or a tween listening, how can number one, I support my young adults, um, children through this process. And how can I recognize when I'm like, Oh, well maybe they need this. Maybe they need this little extra step. Um, so yeah, give, give some tips and strategies on that. Yeah, I would say for parents, um, there's like two really big things that I'm seeing a lot of currently. One is tech reduction. Um, Parents need to reduce the amount of time spent on screens at home because the reality is Gen Zers are spending way too much time on it. They're getting all of their dopamine from their devices. and it's really hurting their motivation and their drive because nothing can compete with a video game or with scrolling. Like we're getting so much dopamine from that. The real world is kind of boring and lame. And so then it's really hard for them to figure out what they're passionate about or what they're curious about because everything's online. So I think first parents need to work to reduce that, that tech time or screen time at home and need to be probably pretty tough tough about it because I know it's really hard and we've kind of gotten our teens to a point where um you know we've kind of like we're their their dealers you know we've been giving them these devices for years and then now all of a sudden we're all shocked oh my god you know why are you on your screen all the time yeah. and like blaming it on them when really we're the ones that have been pushing it on them so I think parents need to kind of learn how to to back off technology a little bit. And then secondly, parents need to allow their kids to get curious and to follow their passions without judgment or criticism. Like I see that a lot with um, a teen might come in and maybe they're they're curious about art or they're really passionate about painting. But somewhere along the way, a parent told them, oh, you're never going to make money as an artist. Like, what in the world could you do with a career as a painter? And they just immediately slam the door instead of allowing them to just get curious and see where it leads them, um, see how it takes them in a different direction or whatever it might do. But I think parents have to learn to just kind of hold back that judgment, hold back that criticism and let their kids just be curious. I love that. I call it. Um, and again, my little guy is only five years old, but I've done 130 something of these conversations and also my own exploration of really trying to be present as a parent just because the world. Yes. How do we navigate social media and all the things? I say it's the poker face, you know, even with my little guy, because he's so in tune and he'll call me and be like, why did you look at me? Are you mad at me? And I'm like, no. So I try. And the minute he tells me something, just poker face, I'm like, oh yeah, tell me more. Even though inside I'm like, what the hell is going on right now? You're only five. Um, and a couple of my girlfriends that kind of have the tween girls, I'm like, you're going to have to give the poker face, put yourself in our shoes. Remember when we went to our parents and they immediately shut us down for something, how we felt like live into that. So that's so powerful to say that to the parents listening. Um, and I know it's so difficult because we have so many other things of ourselves going on that then we have to help this little person kind of thrive. Um, but I think, uh, Dr. Melanie makes such a good point of saying, 
we have to be tougher with the screen time. I mean, we're addicted to our phones. Like I thought about it. I'm like, I do everything on this little device or if it's not my phone, my computer, my emails, the way I'm connecting with people in my business, social media. Um, and then we wonder, well, why are our children or, you know, what is going on? Um, so yes, we have to get, definitely get a little bit stricter with that. And I know we talked about this on the last, um, podcast episode where you, where you mentioned, like, I think you recommended what, like at least 12 years old for someone to get a smartphone or be like, or have their own phone or social media. I think it was. Well, no, in social media now, um, there, I don't know if you saw the surgeon general, yes. um, announced Made me thought of you. Yeah. Yeah. He's saying that, um, even 13 is too young and, and I don't remember what age I had said on your, yeah, your podcast remember. at the time, yeah. but yeah, it's like, we're, because we're now seeing the harm of social media, especially on teen girls, but then um, just device use in general, like when kids are just, you know, we're, we're killing their, um, their motivation for real life. Because like I said, nothing can compete with a video game. There's too much stimulation. So now reading a book, that's, that's boring for my brain. Or even sitting and having a conversation, that's like really boring for my brain. And if you're a kid, you don't recognize like, oh, crap, my brain's really understimulated. Maybe I've been on my my phone too much. I got to chill a little bit. If you're a kid, instead, you just crave it. And you're like, give me, give me. I need to be back on my phone again because my brain is craving that stimulation. Yeah, because you, your brain isn't mature enough to even handle or to control yourself. We have at least some kind of foundation. However, I do find myself at times, and it could be also because I have 20 million things going on. If someone's telling me a long story, I'm like, like, when is this going to end? And I have to stop myself. Like, if I'm like in conversation, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm having a conversation with someone. Why is my brain? But the dopamine, as you said, and I think you also made a good point of, especially the social media aspect, when children, unfortunately, do come to that level, um, when they have that, I think it also would eliminate who they are or thinking what they want because they're seeing what other people are doing. So then they're comparing or saying, wait, so should I be doing this? Because my friend looks really happy doing this. And. I don't know, has achieved this. So maybe that's what I'm supposed to do, right? So then it adds in that layer of, wait, this isn't about me. Now I'm comparing. We we, we do that, I'm, I'm sure, as adults, right? I've had to unfollow accounts. I've had to kind of step away and say, no, focus. But I'm an adult with an almost 40-year-old brain, not a child who's still developing who they are. Like, it sounds so easy, but it's like crazy. No, it really isn't crazy at all. And um, I mean, I recently went through a whole thing on my phone where I did all of these things to make my phone less enticing. You know, I made the home screen black and I disabled the race to wake wake feature and turned off notifications for everything. Like I went through all of these things so that I'm not, because I needed that. I needed to like, okay, I don't need to be checking my phone constantly. That's ridiculous. And oh my gosh, what a difference it has made now with my relationship with my phone where now I just check it a couple of times a day. That's it. I'm not looking at it when I'm waiting in line. Most of the time I still do that. But it's like it has shifted. But yeah, I'm 46. And like, look at what I had to do to control myself. (laughs) I know. And you have a very mature brain to say that. Um, And God, every time you told me, even last time, I think we were talking age. I'm like, oh, you look phenomenal, 46. But no, to your point, it's like, yeah, we have mature brains. And look what you all the attempts you had to do to say, I have to make this less enticing for me. Um, 
So to go back to the Gen Zers, and um, I, I love again the work that you're doing for the for the young for the young ones. And I think a lot of times um, parents have come to me. They're a little, like, "Look, it's great that there's like all these um, newborn uh, technique things, and f- for up to five years old, and we now know conscious parenting." They're like, "But what about?" us parents with the teens and tweens, which is arguably even more mental anguish because this is a whole uncharted territory. What do you love most about working with Gen Zers? And then also throw in there, what do you think some of the misconceptions are? And are you trying to fight some of those misconceptions and help? Like, why are you an advocate and why specifically working with Gen Zers? Yeah, well, teens in general have always been my my favorite group to work with. Um, just I love teens and their brutal honesty. <laughs> you know, like if they don't think something's funny, there's no polite <laughs> chuckle that's going to occur. They're just flat out going to stare at you like, what's wrong with you? I love that level of honesty with them. Um, but for this particular generation of teens, you know, with Gen Z, I really appreciate how knowledgeable they are. You know, they have access to so much information. And even though they don't yet have the wisdom of what to do with the knowledge, they're working on it and they're learning new things. They're exposed to so much that they're worldly and accepting in a way that previous generations weren't. You know, you when you talk to a Gen Zer, you you don't have to explain anything about like gender identity to them or like pronouns. Whereas someone even like a millennial might have an issue with someone with their pronouns. Like Gen Z, Gen Z is just like, whatever, like, what's your deal? Why would you even talk about that? It's not even on their radar as an issue. So I really like that aspect of them. But I do think, you know, one of the misconceptions around them is that they're really lazy. Um, I know people kind of say that about millennials, but I hear that a lot about Gen Zers, that um, that they're they're lazy. All they want to do is, is, you know, sit and stare at their phone. But kind of like what we talked about, it's, I feel like it's our fault. It's previous generation's fault. You know, we have handed them these devices. We've kind of stuck them in their hand. And then now we're shocked that they just want to stare at their phone. So I think it's something that we've fed into and we've kind of created. And it's not really laziness at all. It's just that they don't yet, they don't know how to navigate the the addiction that a lot of them are dealing with. Oh, God. Yeah. And basically, and yeah, in essence, what you're saying is, look, we gave them this and now we want to write them off and basically say, oh, it's your fault. You're like this. So, yeah, I'm I'm not going to deal with it. But to your point, you're like, "Um, but who created the phones? Who gave them the phones? Who gave them the iPad? Who gave them the tablets? Who gave them all of this control when we should have taken back control? Um, So I love that. Um, What is a benefit? And I know you mentioned some things and goal setting and stuff, but what have you heard from some of the Gen Zers that you've worked with now as a life coach? And actually, let me ask, have you transitioned any of like your previous patients that were therapy patients that now you're life coach for? And what are some of the benefits that you've seen once um, they have worked with you in, in a capacity as a life coach? Yeah. So, yeah, first of all, um, some of my therapy clients did transition over to coaching um, because some of them were like a really good fit and it was like a really good kind of transition and next step for them. But one thing that I feel like is a huge benefit is that they've got someone in their corner and the sole purpose is to help them figure out their next steps. 
So a life coach, you know, we're not there to, um, we're not their parent or their teacher. And it's not about like our agenda. And so me as a coach, I'm making sure that they're figuring out what they want to do, what's aligned with their purpose and passion and curiosity and helping them develop the grit to stick with it and to set those goals. But it's not about what their parents think they should be doing, what teachers think they should be doing in their society. So it's really about helping them figure out what's a good fit for them. And they don't really get that from any other relationship because everyone else has more of an agenda for them. So there's really no other place for them to kind of get that level of um, support. Yeah, it's, there's no ulterior motive. You're just wanting to help them kind of figure out who they are in that capacity. Um what if there's a parent listening to this and again, a parent of a teen and tween, I'm going back to my friends that are like, help me. What would you say are the top three things that parents of tween should really focus on when helping their tween? Is it like you said, the judgment, is it the iPad? Like really what are some things that if you're like, look, it's never too late, but if you start working with these things, you know, you can maybe, maybe they're having trouble connecting with their teen or tween, or maybe, you know, just the things that come with adolescence as our, as we grew into it and our, as our, our children are growing into it, what would you say are top three things that parents can shift their focus on if they're having some trouble connecting with, with their young adult child? Yeah. And so first of all, I want to say it's never too late, no matter what age anyone is, we know from all the research, neuroplasticity, brain change is possible at any age. So I want to throw that out there. It's never, ever, ever too late. Um, but as far as like ways for parents to connect, one thing, um, and I make this recommendation constantly, is to have a private journal that's just between the parent and the tween. And the caveat is you need to be consistent with it in terms of writing back and forth in it every day. But this is one of the biggest game changers I see in helping to build a healthy relationship. And parents will find like initially it starts off kind of boring and silly. You know, the parent will write something one day and the kid writes something the next and you just kind of go back and forth. But what I found is over time, the kid starts to share things that they might be too embarrassed to share face to face. Mm -hmm. Or that might be really hard. And then it gives the parent time to really think about their response. So they're not, not in that moment. They don't have to worry about that poker face like you were talking about. It's not reactive. So, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's a really big one. Um, I also would say for parents to encourage daily movement, mm. to get their kids moving every single day whether that's by having their their kid in a sport or some sort of like club or physical activity or doing something together as a family, like going on, you know, hikes or snowshoeing or whatever, doing something together, surfing. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what it is, but kids need in tweens and teens, especially really need physical movement and exercise and physical movement is such a foundational part of having good mental health. And so by getting that going when they're young and making that part of their daily routine, you're kind of, um, you're creating a habit with them and you're getting them to, to try something or to, you're get, making it where they're getting movement every day. And then I would say probably the third thing is to do something new together, like once a month with like, it's something new for the parent and something new for the kid. 
Because if you think about it, when you're doing something that you have never done before and you're not very good at it or it's really outside your comfort zone, it brings out a different side of you. And that's great for your tween or teen to see that side of you and to see that vulnerability. But then it's also really good for them to be getting outside their comfort zone and to be trying something new around somebody that's kind of a safe person for them. It's not in school where they have to deal with, you know, maybe some embarrassment. So I would say having like a monthly activity that you do where it's just something completely random. It's not even something you have to stick with, but just something that's new. I love that. And, you know, it all these relations, you know, it's like parent, child, partner, partner, partner and a partner, people you work with. I mean, it's all about building relationships and connection. And I was reading something or maybe I saw it somewhere. And one of the things they did mention to like, really, it was a partner aspect of it, but to really reconnect with your partner was doing new experiences. That's why traveling is so good. But with the aspect of doing something new or trying something new, because you're both trying something new for the first time and saying, oh my God, did you like that? Did you not? And it's allowing for a whole different level of conversation. Um, so a lot of times for me, when I think of how I can even nurture my little guy's relationship, again, he's only five going on 15 is, well, if this was my partner and I really wanted to make the effort, it's almost the same thing. You want to connect on that deeper level. And I think a lot of times from our generation, we didn't think to have that on that deep level because there was a hierarchy right? It was parent, child. I'm, they're the parent, we're the child. And yes, we, they loved us and whatever aspect and you're my child. Of course I love you, but that was it. As opposed to looking at on a deeper level and saying, no, you want to connect so that when issues arise, when things happen, that they have, that they know that they have people in their corner, particularly even the parents that are there for them, right? To really look at it as like a deeper partner, level and as opposed to just parent-child hierarchy level, I, I guess is basically what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. It's, it's a, you know, like you said, it's a connection building way of parenting. So it's not just about like, you know, you do this, you do that and kind of like telling them what to do, but it's more of like helping them really understand like the under, the underneath side of it. Yeah. And that's, you know, and that even goes back to what we were talking about earlier with intrinsic motivation. You know, that's what kind of helps build that is when we understand like the purpose and the passion and we kind of get those internal resources going and doing the same thing on a parent level is phenomenal. Yeah. And then they get to see parents making mistakes, right? Mom and dad don't have it all figured out. We don't know everything, right? And th my son has no problem being like, um, I was right. You were wrong. And I have no problem now telling him like, you know what? You're right. I should have listened to you. And I'm sorry, you were right. And it was something and it was like a power struggle. So to your point, I think it's important for kids to see that and that like, no, we're human. And, you know, we, we have that. Um, if someone wants to work with you, how can they connect with you? Um, are you still doing workshops? I remember last time we talked, do you do any kind of, and I think you had like a boot camp or something that you did. Tell me, um, I guess first tell me the services and stuff that you are offering through life coaching and then how people can connect with you. Yeah. So I do one-on-one -on -one coaching, um, which is, you know, weekly virtual appointments and then a lot of in-between session support for both the, the, adolescent and for the parent as well. Um, I have self-guided programs. And so that's where my therapy boot camp is. And that's about building mental wellness habits. I have a program for building self-confidence and a goal setting program. 
So those three self-guided programs are all something that an adolescent can do at their own pace where they've got videos and, and worksheets to, to kind of go through. And then I have books. So I currently have a novel and a workbook that's written for tweens and teens that's available on Amazon. And then I have another book um, that is coming out in December on um, helping teens build emotional intelligence. And so once the publisher has a formal <laughs> publication date, I'll let you know that. But as of right now, we're just saying December. Awesome. I love it. I love the work that you're doing. Um, yeah. So continue with that. But and then how can people connect with you? I know you have your website. I'll put it in the show notes, but also speak here how people can connect with you. DM you website, all the things. Yeah. So my website is destinationu.net. And so that's Y-O-U for Destination U. And then um, you can always email me at connect at destinationu.net. And then I'm most active over on Instagram. And so my handle over there is at Dr. Melanie McNally, but um, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn as well. But Instagram, you can DM me and I'm pretty good about getting back to people quickly. Awesome. Uh, Dr. Melanie, is, are there any final thoughts, anything you want to part ways with? This has been another informative conversation. Again, thank you for the work that you do. Uh, it's so important. But any final uh, words that you want to part with the Motherhood Village community and podcast? Well, I just want to say that I know parenting adolescence is very difficult and very challenging. Um, so I encourage parents of tween teens and young adults to really take some time to have fun with your teen and to enjoy and appreciate them and, you know, try and go out with them from time to time and where you're doing something where it's just all about enjoyment. It's not about teaching them anything. It's not about a consequence or a punishment or a reward. It's just about truly enjoying them because I know um, sometimes that kind of that one falls through the cracks a little bit with parenting this, this group. Yeah, it does. Thank you again. Um, it's been a pleasure and continued blessings for, for love and light. We'll talk soon. Bye. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye. Thank you for listening to this impactful episode of the motherhood village podcast. Subscribe to my show so you'll never miss a future episode. You may also rate and review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with someone that can use it as part of their motherhood village. Remember, your village can take up many forms and you do not have to do it alone. Connect with me at themotherhoodvillage.com. Blessings to you for love and light.